for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Though through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Here ends the reading. Thanks, Paul. If you were here with us last Sunday, you know that we were talking about the fact that the church in Antioch was the model church. Uh, In fact, it was a church that was growing exponentially. God was doing a great work through it. And we talked about why was it able to do that? What was the key ingredient that allowed them to be so successful and to do so many great things for the work of God's kingdom? Well, last week I showed you a picture. I think we've still got that picture here. Eggs, remember? It was an acronym for us, Uh, not literally eggs, but E-G-G-S. It was evangelism, giving generously and sending that allowed the the church in Antioch to do such a great work for God's kingdom. Evangelism, they were a church that would share the good news of Jesus with Jew and Gentile-like, with anyone who would be willing to listen. And, of course, they were a generous church. They gave generously. When they learned about the upcoming famine, they were worried about the church in Jerusalem, and so they gave a great gift to help that church in its time of need, knowing that they themselves may have needs as well as this famine was coming to impact the whole world. And finally, it was a sending church. It was a church that well, it sent Paul and Barnabas to go and deliver this gift by hand. But as we'll see this week, it was a sending church that would send out its own members to, to do a great work for, for God's kingdom. Yes, Antioch Church in Antioch was a missional church. It was a sending church. We serve a missional God, a God who sends out his people to be a light of his love wherever they are. In fact, we as First Presbyterian Church in Amarillo, we want to be a a missional church. We talk about missional ministry as a key value of our church because we recognize that all of us are sent out as missionaries wherever we go. For Jesus has commissioned us in the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything he has commanded us, and lo, he will be with us always wherever we are, to the very end of the age. Well, the fact is that wherever we go, whether it be our place of work or our schools, or our neighborhoods or our social circles, God has sent us there. He has a purpose for our being there. He wants us to be a light of his love. As we continue looking at the church in Acts, specifically the church in Antioch, we'll see that as they would send out these missionaries, they were extremely successful in planting churches and making disciples. What was the key to their success, the success of these missionaries? How can we make sure that we're as effective as possible for the kingdom of God? To find out, I would encourage you to turn in your pew Bibles to Acts chapter 12, beginning with verse 25. Acts chapter 12, beginning with verse 25. It may be found on page 1172 of your Red Pew Bible. Acts chapter 12, beginning with verse 25. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as we pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you again that uh, you inspired Luke to put pen to paper so that we might have an orderly account of the first century church. Oh God, as we read about the church in Antioch and Paul and Barnabas, its faithful missionaries, we pray, oh Lord, that you would give us eyes to see what you want us to see and give us a heart that might be open and transformed at the reading 
and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Acts chapter 12, beginning with verse 25. Listen to the word of the Lord. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, the gift they had given to the church in Jerusalem, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. This is John Mark who, helped, who, helped, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Sit apart from me, Barnabas, and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now notice in these uh, short few verses, The Holy Spirit is mentioned three different times in our text. In verse 2, it's the Holy Spirit who chose Paul and Barnabas for their missionary journey. In verse 4, it's the Holy Spirit that Luke tells us who sent Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey to Seleucus. And in verse 9, it's the Holy Spirit who fills Paul in such a way that he's able to blind Elimus, this heretic. Yes, Luke wants to make sure that we know that it's the Holy Spirit who empowered Paul and Barnabas to be so effective in their missionary work. So who is the Holy Spirit exactly? If you go to the Gospel of John, chapter 14 to 16, you'll see that Jesus tells his disciples right before he's arrested that he's going to be leaving them, but not to worry because God the Father is going to send a helper, a paraclete, the Holy Spirit, who will guide them and lead them in all truth. For the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of of truth. And he will remind them of all that Jesus said to them so they might be empowered to preach the good news of God's love that we find in Jesus Christ. 
Later on in the scriptures, in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul reminds us that the Holy Spirit gives each one of us different spiritual gifts that we're able to use for the sake of God's kingdom. In fact, right before the offering, we're going to have an opportunity to hear from one of our members about how she is using her gifts in ministry to help minister and help build up the body of Christ as she uses her gifts for music. Yes, God has equipped each one of us by his spirit to do the work of his kingdom. And Luke is very careful throughout the book of Acts to make sure that we know that it's the Holy Spirit who is empowering the first century church to be so effective in making disciples. For you'll remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right before Jesus ascends to heaven, the risen Jesus, right before he ascends to heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father as we recite in the Apostles' Creed almost every week, right before he goes to heaven, this risen Jesus, this resurrected Jesus, tells his disciples right outside of Jerusalem, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. It's not until the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples at Pentecost, that first Pentecost, that the disciples begin to preach, boldly preach the good news of Jesus. Prior to that, they'd spent most of their time in hiding, praying, fearful of the Jews. But on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, they begin to preach boldly, the good news of Jesus, letting others know about God's love that we find in Jesus Christ. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, they're able to do some remarkable things. They're able to heal and do many signs and wonders that capture people's attention. Yes, Luke wants us to know that it's the Holy Spirit who called out Paul and Barnabas. It's the Holy Spirit who sent out Paul and Barnabas. It's the Holy Spirit who empowered Paul to blind Elimus. When was the last time any one of us did a sign or wonder by the Holy Spirit? I know for those of us who have really little uh, children, uh, sometimes we feel like it's a sign or wonder that we get to church on time, right? I mean, remember those days when you've got to dress the kids and get everybody bathed and ready and, and get to church on time? That can feel like a sign and wonder. But seriously, in the 21st century, as followers of Jesus, are we attuned to what the Holy Spirit is doing? Because the scriptures are real clear that we need to follow the Holy Spirit's lead. For the Holy Spirit is a part of the Trinity, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If we hope to be effective in ministry, if we hope to be effective in making disciples, of sharing the good news, we've got to follow the Holy Spirit's lead. So how can we make sure we're listening to the Holy Spirit? It's interesting, Francis Chan in his best-selling book, Forgotten God, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit, He writes, from my perspective, the Holy Spirit is tragically neglected and for all practical purposes forgotten. While no evangelical would deny his existence, I'm willing to bet there are millions of churchgoers across America who cannot confidently say they have experienced his presence or action in their lives over the past year. When we compare the statement by Francis Chan with what we read about in in the book of Acts, well, it's, it's quite troubling. Because throughout the book of Acts, it's the Holy Spirit that empowers and inspires and, and equips the first century church to, to make disciples. Yet according to Francis Chan, the Holy Spirit can often seem absent from the church in North America. Why is that? I mean, if we look at the, at the churches in Asia, Africa, and South America today, we see the Holy Spirit moving in mighty ways, doing many signs and wonders, and the churches are growing exponentially on those continents. At the same time, the church in the U.S. continues to shrink despite the fact that our population as a whole, as a country, is growing. Why does the Holy Spirit often seem absent in the church in America? Francis Chan argues that the Spirit is more obviously active in places where people are desperate for him, humbled before him, 
and not distracted by their pursuit of wealth or comforts like we are. The light of the American church is flickering and nearly extinguished, having largely sold out to the kingdoms and values of this world. Those are some tough words. Are they true? A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go to Europe as a part of a Reformation Jubilee tour. We were celebrating 500 years of the Reformation when Martin Luther on October 31st, 1517, put up the 95 Thesis and and launched the Protestant Reformation. We went to places where Luther and and Calvin lived, and we went to places where Ulrich Zwingli and Zurich Switzerland lived, and, and John Huss, these great men of God who preached the good news of God's love, the gospel of grace, and preached the Bible in the language of the people, and they worked to translate the Bible into the language of the people, knowing that this was against the Roman Catholic Church's will at the time. In fact, John Huss was actually burned as a heretic because of what he preached. And while in Europe we visited many of the churches where these great men of God preached at one time, and and, and the churches were beautiful, the sanctuaries are amazing, and some of them still have worshiping communities in them, but many of them, they felt like museums. Now what one was there? In fact, Gallup tells us that less than 10% of the Christians in France and Germany go to worship weekly in those countries. Less than 10% of the Christians in France and Germany go to worship weekly? How can we make sure that the church in the United States doesn't become like the church in Europe? Well, it seems to me like we're going to need the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. But how can we make sure that we're listening and hearing the Holy Spirit speak? I mean, they gathered together and they heard the Holy Spirit clearly tell them to set set apart Saul and Barnabas for the mission that God has called them to. How is it that we can make sure we can hear the Holy Spirit today? I know most of us, if we hear the Holy Spirit, we'll want to respond, but the fact is, often we're not listening. How can we make sure that we hear the Holy Spirit speaking to us, those inner promptings today? Well, notice what Paul, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, and Menean are all doing before they hear the Holy Spirit speak. According to our text this morning, these five men, very different backgrounds, different ethnic groups, different races, are all together worshiping God, praying, and fasting. These men with one heart and one mind are focused on God and the love that he has for us in Jesus Christ. They're worshiping God together, they're praying, and they're fasting. Yes, the Holy Spirit often speaks through worship, prayer, and fasting. As we talked about a few months ago, Worship that honors God is focused on God alone, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in Reformed worship, our worship services are centered around the reading and the preaching of God's holy word because the Holy Spirit inspired all of these words. And so as we read it, we believe that we will hear the Spirit speak to us as we read and and, and explain it. Yes, all of God's word has been inspired, and so we center our services around the word of God. And worship that honors God is not about us or what we get out of it, how it makes us feel. It's about God. Are we giving our best to God? When we come to worship God, are we giving him all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength? Are we focused on God and God alone? Or do we often find ourselves easily distracted? I remember growing up as a little boy in Midland, Texas, the first Presbyterian church there, I was easily distracted. Uh, I would see my friends in the service and I'd wave to them, you know, and, and talk to them a little bit about uh, what they're going to be doing after church. And then as we'd sit down and the service would get going, you know, I'd be thinking about what they're about to do. And then I was a Cowboys fan growing up, so I'd be thinking about the Cowboys. And this is in the 80s when Danny White was the quarterback. And I kept thinking, why is Danny White the quarterback for the Cowboys? That's not good. 
I think about my own sports teams. I was playing baseball or football or basketball or soccer. I, mean, I thought about a lot of things. I didn't always think about God. But as I've grown older, I've learned that one good practice to help me focus my mind is before the service starts, I'll actually, I'll say a prayer of thanksgiving. I'll thank God for his many blessings. For as we read in Psalm 118, a passage that I often quote, Psalm 118, verse 24, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Today is a gift from God. And so I thank God for this day, for his mercies are new every morning. As you read in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 to 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. Yes, in an opening prayer of thanksgiving, I thank God for all of his many blessings, all that he has done for us. Before the service starts, privately, I I pray. And then as Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Is there anything more honorable, more just, more pure, more lovely, more commendable, more excellent, more worthy of praise than the love of our Savior, Jesus Christ? Every Sunday before the service starts, I look at the cross of Christ. I thank God. I thank God that while we were still sinners, God loved us so much that he didn't abandon us in our sin, but he sent his son Jesus to pay the price for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God once and for all, so we might have the gift of eternal life if we simply believe in him. Yes, we have so much to be thankful for, don't we? Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. A little more gusto. Good, yeah. So as we worship God, we thank God. And I know that for me, opening the service, before it even begins with my own private prayer of thanksgiving, saying, God, thank you so much. Thank you for this new day. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Thank you for the gift of our son, our savior. Thank you, Lord, for your love. In your son's name I pray, amen. This simple prayer helps focus my mind and my heart so that I might give all of my heart, mind, and soul to worship to God. Did you know, though, that our church has just under 1,000 members? It's 900 and something. It's like 980, something like that. Our church has just under 1,000 members. But any given Sunday in the fall and spring, and this is uh, kind of a typical Sunday, you know, we have about 430 people with our three services. If you add them all up, it's about 430 on average. But on Easter, we've got 950 plus easily. Sometimes we have 1,000. I mean, everybody shows up on Easter Sunday, right? And I can't help as the preacher but wonder, where are they 51 other Sundays of the year, right? I know, people go out of town. In fact, there's a lot of people at the men's retreat right now. And we've got about 35 guys there, which is great. Glad that they're there. They're there. I know that Texas played OU uh, this week, and so a lot of Longhorns went to Dallas. Uh, probably should have stayed home because it wasn't that great a game for Longhorns. But uh, anyway, I'm a, oh, I saw Longhorns, so I, I bleed with you guys. I, I mourn with you. But, uh, you know, when we go out of town, are we making a point, even while we're out of town, to worship somewhere? You can find a, a Bible preacher, gospel-believing church in almost any community. In fact, I would say that if you're in a big city, man, start with our denomination. If you're in Dallas, go to Highland Park Presbyterian Church. They're part of ECO. It's a great church. The Bible's preached there every week faithfully. Or go to First Press San Antonio. If you're in San Antonio, go to First Press San Antonio. Great church. Or if you're in Houston, go to First Press Houston or Grace Presbyterian Church in Houston or Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church in Houston. Those are all great gospel, Christ-centered churches where you can hear the word of God. Because even if you're not here, we need to be in, in worship, corporate worship together. Because when we come together as the body of Christ, we experience his presence and we hear from his spirit. Of course, worship should not be confined to just Sunday, should it? We should worship God every day. Did you know that the most sung hymn in the English language was originally written as a part of a daily prayer book? 
1674, Anglican Bishop Thomas Ken published a manual of prayers for the use of the scholars of Winchester College. In it, he charged his readers to be sure to sing the morning and evening hymns in your chamber devoutly. As a part of this daily prayer book, there was the doxology that we sing every Sunday here at 11 o'clock. Please sing it with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Doesn't that feel good? When I'm having a bad day, whether it be a Monday or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, if I'm having a bad day, I'll break in the middle of the day and just sing that song, a song of praise. Yes, worship is not intended just for Sundays. Now, we worship together on Sundays because that's the Lord's day. That's the day that Jesus rose again. And since that first resurrection Sunday, we've been worshiping God on Sunday ever since. But worship should be a daily activity, pouring our hearts out to God, thanking him for all that he's done for us helping center our hearts and minds on who he is and the fact that he's in control and he'll never leave us nor forsake us. But we do need to gather in corporate worship for we are the body of Christ and we read in the scriptures that when two or more are gathered together in his name, Jesus promises to be there. So the Christ in me connects with the Christ in you and as we with one voice sing our praises to God, the spirit moves in our midst. And if we'll listen and humble ourselves, we'll hear him speak. Yes, verse 2 of our text this morning tells us that it was while they were in corporate worship together, praising God, fasting and praying, that the Holy Spirit spoke to them and set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Notice that after hearing the Holy Spirit speak in verse 2, they spent time fasting and praying in verse 3 to confirm God's call. As we look at the scriptures, we can see that prayer and fasting are always together. Before Jesus launches his ministry, he spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting and, and praying. In fact, we know that Satan came on the, uh, towards the end of that to tempt Jesus. And because Jesus had been fasting and praying and meditating the word of God, he was prepared for these temptations. For as Richard Foster tells us in his Christian classic celebration of discipline, fasting reminds us that we are sustained by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Food does not sustain us. God sustains us. In experiences of fasting, we are not so much abstaining from food as we are feasting on the word of God. Fasting is feasting. I don't know if you've ever experienced fasting before, but I have found it's most effective to have a big lunch, to skip dinner, skip breakfast, and then have another lunch to end a 24-hour fast, all the while drinking liquids, plenty of water and juices as necessary. But while I'm fasting, my body slows down, and so does my thinking. And then I can center my heart and mind. During the time when I would normally eat, I spend that time praying, talking to God, reading his word, meditating, so that I might be prepared and hear God's spirit speak to me. You remember when Jesus, after fasting for 40 days, Satan comes up to Jesus and he he tells him to turn stone into bread. And and Jesus responds with the word of God by quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, saying, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every time Satan tries to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus responds by by quoting the scriptures because he's been feasting on the word of God. 
This is read in verse 3. After they hear the call of the Holy Spirit to send out Paul and Barnabas, they spend some more time fasting and praying because they want to confirm that it was in fact the Holy Spirit who was calling Paul and Barnabas to go and, and, and out as missionaries. Whenever we feel the sense of God's conviction and the Holy Spirit prompts us to do something, we should make confirm it with God's word and, and the community of Christ, the body of Christ, and, and take some time, more time, to, to fast and pray about it. I remember when I was a missions pastor uh, several years ago at a church, uh, a woman in our church who didn't like her current job quit her job so that she might become a full-time missionary with Japanese students at SMU. Now, she spoke the language, and she loved the culture, and she had lived in Japan for uh, quite a while, and so she seemed very fit to do what she felt God was calling her to do. But as she shared her passion with me in my office about all that God was calling her to do, there was a reality that she had to raise her own support, and she wasn't able to raise the support she needed. And I know from Scripture, Proverbs 22, verse 7, we read, that the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. That as followers of Christ in ministry, we shouldn't go into debt to do ministry. No, we, we should seek God's provision and not go into debt. We sh- don't want the body of Christ to be slave to anyone other than Jesus Christ. So as I talked to this woman about her call, I said, I think you are called to work with these Japanese students, but maybe you should have a part-time job until you're able to raise the support you need to do it full-time. I pointed out how Paul had a part-time job as a tent maker working in Corinth while he planted that church in Corinth. Yes, if God is calling us to do something, it will be consistent with his word. It will be confirmed by the body of Christ. And God will provide the circumstances to help make it happen. Thanks be to God, though, that this woman was willing to at least listen to what the Holy Spirit was telling her. Willing to follow wherever God might call her. You know, in the United States, we have so many voices vying for our attention that we can't possibly hear the Holy Spirit speak unless we take time to be still. Did you know the average American in the United States watches over four hours of television a day? Four hours. How much time do you think they spend reading the Bible or praying? A lot less. What if we cut that time in half? Instead of, instead of spending four hours, what if we just spent two hours watching television and the remaining two hours praying, reading Christian literature or the Bible or, or having Christian conversation with others so that we might hear God's voice above all the other voices of our culture? I'm afraid that one of the problems with the American church today is that we're not listening to God like we should. We're so busy and listening to the cries of our culture and all the advertisements that are coming across on television or the radio, or we're so busy surfing the internet or playing video games or playing on our iPhones, that when the day is done, there's not much time left to give to God, to listen to Him, to be still, to fast and to pray and to worship so that we might hear from Him. As we continue our journey through Acts, we will see that God used the Apostle Paul in some mighty ways to make many disciples, to plant several churches. And God was able to use Paul. And Paul was able to be used by God because he took the time he needed to worship, to fast, and to pray so that he might hear the Holy Spirit's voice and obey. May we take the time we need this week to worship, even fast at some point, and to pray so that we might hear the Holy Spirit and obey. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the model that we're given and the Church of Antioch, a group that was committed to you wholeheartedly. They spent a great deal of time in worship and prayers and fasting, and it was in that time that your Holy Spirit spoke. Oh God, may we take the time we need this week to worship you every day, 
to, to pray and, and to fast uh, occasionally, to, to be still, to know that you're God so that we might hear from you, that we might slow down, be still and know that you alone are God so that we might hear your voice and obey. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your son who is the Christ and all God's people said, amen. Well, just a moment ago, I shared with you that as a part of our Pledge Sunday, which is the first Sunday of November, we're asking people not just to give a dollar amount for next year, but really to think about how you might use your time and talents for the work of God's kingdom. And so this morning, we're going to hear about from Linda Jean, how she uses her time and talents to help build up the body.